The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for discovering Trek listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. A reunion, a promotion, and a tie-in to a beloved character. Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery continues to take us literally where no Star Trek show has gone before. Last week, Burnham rescued Book and got some new burn data, but paid the price for disobeying orders. And this week, she tries to get more data on when, where, and how the burn originated. But will an original member of the Federation be willing to help with her cause? Well, let's find out. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe companion presented by Fansets. Well, last week Burnham ignored orders and went off on a dangerous mission and then paid the price with Captain Saru. And this week, with the help of the memory of her brother Spock, as well as someone she least expected to see, we'll try to get new data on the burn from a familiar species that has no intention of helping the Federation. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled Unification 3. And as the title suggests, this week's episode has a lot to do with the Next Generation episodes from over 30 years ago, which share the same name. And here to help me break it all down is a very special friend in person. He's actually the person I would want to be my advocate if I were going to be involved in an ancient Vulcan ritual. He knows all my fears. He knows all my strengths. And I think he would fit right in with the other Quatmalat, even though he's a dude. Uh, as always, he is my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, uh, my God, what a great tie into several Trek series in this one. And I'm not going to lie, at one point, I was literally bawling. I, I don't think you're alone. Hey, buddy, it's good to be here. Thanks for that intro. Uh, I, I just got a couple of things. One, could you pronounce the name of the Romulan ninja nuns again? The Kawat Malat. That's, I'm actually amazed you're able to get that out twice in the same broadcast. <laughs> That's amazing. And if I'm, you. if I'm your number one, does that mean I'm an ensign? It's better than being my number two. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, so throw that right out. We're there. already going really, really dark today. So um, before, without any further ado, Dan, we probably should uh, bring back Sarah since this is her week. Sarah, welcome to, uh, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you here in, in seat number three. I am ready to rumble. Let's do this. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Sarah. It's been quite a few weeks since I've actually had the pleasure of sitting down talking with you. It's great to see you. I know we're going to have a lot of fun. And Bill, I think there might be someone extra on here this week to give their opinion every once in a while, if I'm not mistaken. We do. We have a stowaway this week in the form of the lovely and talented Casey Shafsky, who's uh, just decided to show up for no reason. And that's all the reason he needs. Casey, good to have you here, my brother. Hey, everybody. Just dropping in and was like, I miss Sarah. Man. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That's great. That's, yeah. And, and Bill and Dan are fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got it. I got it. Well, I got to say, it was a great surprise when I logged into the uh, meeting and saw your 
smiling face. Um, so Sarah, Bill, and Casey, <laughs> we always want to hear uh, from our listeners and their thoughts on everything Star Trek Discovery. So Bill, how can they get in touch with us for their thoughts on Unification 3? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Well, there is a veritable cornucopia of ways to get in touch with us. Of course, you can go to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you can get all kinds of ways to get us your thoughts. Uh, and on Twitter and Facebook, all you have to do is search for Discovering Trek. We welcome every single one of your comments and questions, even if they are better than any of Dan's and Casey's. I'm just going to say that right out loud. Plus, you can leave us a voicemail by visiting wow. our website at trekgeeks.com. Click on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you leave us could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Thank you, sir. Black Alert. Black Alert. From here on in, folks, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Episode 7 of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access or Netflix Europe or whatever it's called over there. Wherever you watch Discovery, watch the latest (laughs) episode, then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Unification 3. Episode 307 of Star Trek Discovery Unification 3 is written by Kirsten Beyer and directed by first-time television director John Dudkowski, who has previously served as an editor on Star Trek Discovery. While grappling with the fallout of her recent actions and what her future might hold, Burnham agrees to represent the Federation in an intense debate about the release of politically sensitive but highly valuable burn data. Originally released November 26th, 2020, it is the seventh episode of Star Trek Discovery's third season. Trainees, to the briefing room. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as we gather in the briefing room to start our discussion on this week's episode, let's get your high-level thoughts. Thumbs up, thumbs down, and why? And since he's not supposed to be here, but is here anyway, (laughs) we're going to give Casey the first shot this week. What do you think, buddy? Oh, man. Two complete awesome thumbs up. (laughs) I love this episode. It was... uh, Come on. It was fantastic. (laughs) Okay, I guess he liked it. Uh, Sarah, what do you think? (laughs) <laughs> I would like to give this one two thumbs up, and I want it to be thumbs that are like dancing. So picture someone who's warming up for a really good Game Boy video marathon. <laughs> I'm imagining that right now, and I'm going to give it two thumbs up as well. It was a fantastic episode. The way they tied in TNG and Picard was just ingenious. There were so many feels in this episode. Even Tilly's B story was just fantastic. I absolutely loved it, Bill. Uh, I am going to round out the cycle and go for two thumbs up. Although I think there are some areas of this episode that require significant improvement. I don't think it was enough to detract from the overall rating of the episode. Absolutely agreed. So let's get right into it, guys. Lots to discuss. A lot of different parts of this episode um, that had possible ramifications for later on in the season. But let's just, you know what, let's just let's just get the elephant out of the room or the monkey off the back or whatever it is that the phrase is. Let's talk about Spock, because totally, totally unexpected moment. I had no idea it was coming, and it was it was wonderful. It was done beautifully. Right from the, from the very beginning when they were discussing Spock on the bridge, it made me get all kind of choked up. But then to actually see that footage of Spock 
when he was on Romulus back in TNG's uh, unification was really just just tremendous and beautiful. Sarah, what were your thoughts when you first saw that and, and listened to that unmistakable voice of Leonard Nimoy? Oh, my goodness. I want to say that I was surprised, but I almost am not surprised because Discovery has been throwing us so many great little tributes here, there, and everywhere that I just... Now I'm just going to be selfish and expect something as awesome as this all the time. It was beautiful, and it was well done, and it was ah, not enough. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that. And, Bill, I want to have you tie into this. Um, we got used to seeing a lot of Easter eggs during Lower Decks first season, and a lot of them were awesome. We saw Q, and we saw all kinds of great things that were tied into various um, parts of the Star Trek universe. But this one seemed to be really special. Just the look on Burnham's face, seeing her younger brother as an old man and the things that he was doing to make unification possible it was just such an emotional moment for me and i'm sure it was for you too oh uh, absolutely it was i i'm not gonna lie i wept you know uh, when you see the reaction that sonequa martin green gives as michael burnham in that scene it really sells the the rest of it it it, it places the emotions squarely in the viewer's lap and at that point, the viewer adopts the same emotion. And how could you not? If she had just stood there stone-faced and Vulcan-like, I don't think it would have conveyed the same feeling. But to see the look on her face and the pride and the love, it just, oh man, it just, it levels you. And of course, it's Leonard Nimoy, Leonard, the heart and soul of Star Trek, whom we still miss today. Um, uh, to hear that voice from that character in Star Trek Discovery is really quite special. It really was. And and on top of that, you know, the flashbacks, they threw some flashbacks of season two with Spock uh, with a beard and then even uh, earlier flashbacks with young with young Michael and young Spock. It just it just seemed to tie in so great. And, and Casey, I'm sure you've got some comments that you'd like to say about that Spock scene as well. I, I thought it was an absolutely wonderful uh, follow through line where they were using all the different actors for Spock. Yeah. But just to show that this is this is the one character, and here we are, and that acceptance of it, and I I agree with Bill. Boy, when that when that Nimoy footage came up, I just I just stopped, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh my god! And they used the footage so well, and like you're saying, I mean the the acting prowess right there of when that footage is not in front of you while you're being filmed. And yeah. Shanika Marco Green, like everything that she went through, is like, oh my God, this is so emotional yeah, and fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, Bill? Can I just say, I weary of the criticism of the Michael Burnham character that she cries every episode. Uh, because I see it online all the time. It's bogus critique. It's lazy critique, to be honest. There's a reason why Michael Burnham has so many emotional moments, and that's because her emotional growth was stunted her entire life by living on the planet Vulcan. The fact that she sheds tears in almost every episode, I think is irrelevant. It's a tribute to the work that the writers are doing. It's a tribute to the work that Sonequa Martin-Green is doing. And in the scope of this episode, it is 100% appropriate and in character. Yeah, I got to say that I've been one of the people that in the past have said, does she cry too much? Uh, in season two, I remember saying that a couple of times. And, and I kind of feel bad about doing that now when you're looking at her growth as a character. And in this episode, it was it was just 
if she didn't cry, I would have thought there was a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not only with this scene, but you know, with Tilly later um, when they're doing the the um, number one uh, discussion and and um, what was going on with that, I thought it was appropriate and, and I really liked it. Um, but let's talk about another thing about this episode, and I want to get Bill. I want to get your take first on this, and that's about the Quat Malat. Um, it was great to see this Picard tie-in. I really thought it was good. It was an, another unexpected thing. Um, I don't think anybody in this panel was expecting Michael's mother to be the one that beamed aboard. Even after the president kind of hinted that this person had a unique interest in Michael, I didn't expect it. And even with the explanation of what was going on with her, I kind of thought it was a little convenient. Do you agree, Bill? Um, I guess there's a little bit of convenience there. It's a great way to reboot a character. Um, where you don't have to do any explanation because Gabrielle Burnham could have gotten back at any point. Before Michael, after Michael, decades ago, doesn't matter. Um, in this reality, here and now, she's a member of the Ninja Nuns, as I like to call them. And it, um, I, I thought it worked. Plus, I thought it provided a better grounding for her and her mother and that relationship. You know, she got to do some real parenting with Michael for the first time, and I thought it was actually it was pretty great. And I'll say that parenting was a little hard parenting at times because, man, uh, the look on Michael's face as uh, Gabrielle was really uh, putting her feet to the fire uh, and what she uh, was hiding and what she wasn't being truthful on was uh, was really something, don't you think, Sarah? Yeah, pay attention, Sarah. I'm talking to you now. <laughs> Busted. I was taking right, selfies with gonna, Bill. I'm going to set the scene for everyone here. We're very excited that Casey joined us for this episode. So as we're talking, Sarah's taking selfies with her phone, and Casey's imitating her, and Bill's trying to get a coherent sentence out and having trouble because of the shenanigans going on. But that's part of the fun of being uh, all together here at Discovering Trek. So back to you, Sarah. And for the record, I wasn't taking selfies. I was pretending to take selfies because I am 40 years old and I don't take selfies <laughs> that often. <laughs> um, the question is uh, regarding the use of Gabriel, Gabrielle coming back. Yes. I thought absolutely. it was a little too convenient, personally. Okay. I, I agree my, with that. that was my initial reaction. I was like, oh, oh. Okay, all right, here she is. And I mean, I knew I was expecting her to pop in at some time. And I also have to understand that this show is, it's a season, we have a story to tell. You know, I still, it worked out really well, I think, because it gave a really good um, tie in to, she was, Michael Burnham was so not expecting it. And it worked out really well, I think, in that sense. Yeah, it, it did. Let me ask you this uh, who I've talked to Bill, I've already talked to you. So let's ask Casey this question. Um, do we know that the Romulans allowed other races to be part of this very trusted organization or group of people? I thought that was a little bit of a surprise as well, that a human was a member of the uh, Kuat Malat. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's happened <laughs> in all this time? And I'm, I'm liking that we don't have everything spelled out for us so that we might learn things later on and, and get a little bit more story in even though it was convenient for Burnham's mama to be the one there, I, I kind of agree with Bill. It's like, hey, you, now this is a whole different character, and you have reasons in the future to revisit Vulcan slash Navarre. 
Remember, too, that the Kowat Milat are kind of the arch enemy of the Tal Shiar, Romulan society. So it may not be that the Romulans don't necessarily approve of it, but, you know, they being an organization which, you know, uh, deals a lot with lost causes, maybe they thought Gabrielle Burnham was a lost cause at some point. Maybe they brought her back, if you will. Um, So maybe they'll add that texture to the character. Who knows? I like that. Of course, with the amazing writing of Kirsten Beyer. I mean, I'm sure she's got some things in mind for this. Speaking of Kirsten and um, a couple of deep cuts I wanted to talk about real quick. And that's, you just talked about Navarre. I I did not know that the name of this planet, which used to be Vulcan, was actually from a 1976 short story of Star Trek about Vulcans, and Navarre means the duality of things. And so Kirsten did a real deep cut of bringing that in for this episode, and I I don't know how many people knew that. It's not something I knew until I read about it doing some of the reviewing for the episode. It's kind of cool that she can do that. And she was the one person that I completely had no train of thought when we were talking to out at the premiere of Picard last year, Bill. I think you remember that. When she stood up to the mic, I was just like, ah, 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 I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the other deep cut that I thought was wonderful and just another tearjerker moment was um, when that uh, Michael was talking about the three ships that had burn data to show that the burn started at different times. One of them was the USS Yelchin. Mm. And, of course, we all know that that was named after Anton Yelchin from the Kelvin movies who uh, tragically died a few years back. So I thought that was uh, it was great. We had the USS Nog a few weeks ago. Now we have the USS Yelchin. I just love how the writers are doing things like that. Um, so the title of the episode is Unification 3. Of course, Unification 1 and 2 took place during TNG some 33, 34 years ago, something like that. Somewhere around that range, 25, 35 years ago. I don't know, somewhere around there. Um, but we saw lots of different forms of unification this week, I think. And I think it all tied into the title rather brilliantly. And um, Sarah, let's start with you with this part of the discussion, because I know that you have always been a Tilly fan. And I think um, one of the forms of unification that we saw, at least in my mind this week, was with the rest of the crew and Tilly as first officer. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up and then segue to me, because early, earlier you said that this was the B story. For me, this was the A story. And that's only because I never watched all of the original series, so my Spock appreciation isn't as high of a level as other people's. I loved the storyline, don't get me wrong, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to see all of it. But I really enjoyed that scene, all the scenes that had Tilly in it. I thought it was a great little storyline, and I thought it was so well executed. really shows how this... Uh, this crew really has that family dynamic that we haven't always seen to this extent in other Star Trek series, Bill. I can't agree more quite, you know, at all. So it is a wonderful moment where everybody, you know, is there collected in the engineering lab and, and Tilly's there. And of course, Michael comes in late, which I thought was scripted really well. Um, I love the unity. I love the, the unification, as you mentioned of it. My, the only problem I have is that Tilly's the first officer. Um, she's an ensign. She's Mm -hmm. never sat in the command chair during a time of crisis. The first Mm -hmm. officer's job is to take command of the ship and develop the crew. And she is wholly unqualified to perform that role as great as Tilly is as much as I love Tilly. And as much as this is a great development for her, I think it's patently absurd in in the scope of the script. 
and I think, Casey, that that's something that even Tilly herself recognizes because that's one of the things that she made very apparent to Saru is, I'm only an ensign, but Saru still wants her to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, the character seems very self-aware. And um, I, I keep trying to thinking think about what, what is Saru's, what are the intentions here? And I, I can't quite figure it out because logically, like Bill says, it makes no sense. No, what really so doesn't. whatsoever. But thematically, in the episode, it it does because yeah. she binds everyone together. She is she is the glue there emotionally for so many of these characters. So I, I, I'm not sure where they're going with this. If she's going to have some big moment of growth coming up soon that then justifies everything or you know saru looks for the full-time replacement just say yes casey that's all you have to do just say yes (laughs) this this isn't vegas dan (laughs) it could be a moment it could be a moment similar to what we saw in the episode where um deanna had to take her um her training for command and she in the holodeck she had to order people that she was friends with to do something that she knew would kill him I wonder if something like that might happen later on in the in the in the season. So we'll have to see. Um, other forms of unification. Let's talk about a couple of other things. Of course, the big one, which I think is on everybody's mind, is the unification between Michael and her mom, Bill. Obviously, this episode was meant to re. Um, connect these two characters. Uh, they finally find each other. The line at the end of the episode when the mom says, is something I've wanted to say to you for a long time and that you always know where to find me was a great way to show that connection between mother and daughter after so long of, of her, Michael thinking that she was dead. Absolutely. You know, it's it's always great to see Sonia Sohn on TV. I loved her in The Wire. I love her in a great many things. But I think she really shines in this role as Michael's mom, and especially in this episode, because she didn't get a chance to be mom before. She was Dr. Burnham uh, in the Red Angel suit, and she had knowledge, and they had you know the sphere data to get out of the, 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 the grasp of control. So she actually gets to be a little more human this time, a little more maternal, and Michael gets to develop that relationship. And I think that's important because Michael's never had a human relationship like this. I kind of thought for a while that that relationship was going to go right down the drain when the mother was doing the thing she was doing in front of the entire um, uh, procedure that was going on when she was really just, and she gave no warning to Michael of what she was going to do. You could see the look of shock on Michael's face. And I kind of wondered for a while there what Michael was going to do after the fact, but you know that moms always kind of have the <laughs> thinking that they know what they're doing and absolute and, candor <laughs> and absolute yeah. candor is right a- absolutely it really was it really was great um sarah one of the other things that i thought was very interesting in terms of of unifications this week in this episode was you know although the vulcan president said that uh, she didn't see it coming anytime soon was maybe a unification of the federation and vulcan at some point in the future do you see that possibly being something we see later on? I'm going to say no. Because I feel like the events that took place in this episode stressed the relationship between Vulcans and Romulans a little bit. I think there were some unexpected results of that meeting. And then I think that there's going to be a little bit of internal battle that may have an effect on whether or not they would consider 
joining the Federation. Maybe that's like um, a far out idea, but I just had a sense that this was too good to be true. I, I kind of can see where you're going with that because Casey, if you recall, um, they were all against giving that data, but the president decided to do it anyway. Do you think that's going to have ramifications with the with the inhabitants of uh, of the planet of Navarre? You know, it, it it could, but I kept seeing the quorum when they're there. They were very, you know, uh, opposite sides of things going on, and I could see certain, especially the full Romulan goat of of just flipping on a dime, saying, "No, no, we're hey, if you're not giving him the info, we are." Okay, so there could be some internal strife on all this stuff, but I, I think the character of the president was really there to give an opening of a possibility of like, hey, everyone blames us for the burn. This is what is happening. We're, we're dealing with all of this, um, and we didn't want to deal with you, the Federation, at all for a good period of time. Um, here's an opportunity. What you do with the opportunity is up to you and how it uh, affects everyone else. We'll, we'll see if your intentions are true, honest, sincere. Nice. And it's a good segue because the last thing I wanted to talk about, Casey, um, you, you talked about the president. Um, let's talk oh, about yeah. uh, the president and oh, Saru. Yeah. What's going on with those two? <laughs> I don't know. Something was a little something going on, but I really those two those two actors, Doug Jones, um, was was just phenomenal uh, in those scenes. As was Tara Rosling. I thought that they were great. I really liked the discussion that they have. Doug Jones just continues to be stellar as captain of the Discovery, and Bill. I thought that those discussions laid a seed for what we could see maybe later on the season, not only between um, Navarre and the Federation, but Saru and the Vulcan president. Uh, possibly. I don't actually buy into the whole love connection vibe uh, between Saru and the Vulcan president. Oh, I, I say just, that jokingly, obviously. No, but there's been enough conjecture online where people are thinking ah. that could be a thing. Um, I thought that Saru did his best... Uh, Jean-Luc Picard in this episode and was the consummate diplomat. And I think that that's what the situation called for. Saru needed to rise to the occasion in addition to whatever Burnham was doing. And he did that and more. And I think that he represented Starfleet and the Federation incredibly well. Um, who here was saddened? Totally different subject because Bill just hit the nail on the head. Who here was saddened by what appears to be the pause in the relationship or the end of the relationship between book and burnham sarah um i i I don't think it's a pause just yet i don't know what to think yeah everybody agree with that the ship is still in the cargo is still in the shuttle exactly yeah exactly it, it barely fits (laughs) they can make it shorter if they want to which is awesome (laughs) he's not going anywhere for now and even when he does he's not going to be far away I I, I gotta say I kind of felt bad for Book because you can tell that he was disappointed but he was doing his best to to not show that he was disappointed I think the chemistry between these two is just Mm. wonderful Mm. and so many times in so many times in Star Trek through the years, some of the relationship looks forced or stale, or I don't know what <laughs> word to use, but this one is just, it's really, mm-hmm. it's really good to see. These yeah. two actors do a fantastic job, and, and I hope that we get to see more. And if you saw the coming attraction for next week, maybe we will. I'm just saying. Just saying. 
Folks, we want to take a moment to thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. As we all deal with the continued effects of the coronavirus pandemic, we know that small business is an essential part of a recovering economy, and we are proud to support one of the best small businesses in the whole galaxy, and that's Fansets. This past weekend, Fansets celebrated Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, and Cyber Monday with some great deals for fans, and we hope you were able to take advantage of some huge savings as well as support a great small business at the same time. Right, you are, Sarah. And now that we're into December, of course, <laughs> that means new Star Trek pins. I mean, we've already talked about a couple of the plan releases for this month. Like, well, there's a brand new Seven of Nine micro crew pin in her brown uniform. There's a brand new bearded Commander Riker micro crew pin from Next Gen. There's a happy badgie pin from Star Trek Lower Decks. There's a mad, murderous, insane, crazy badgie pin that looks a lot like Dan Davidson right now. Mm, exactly. And there's the 2020 holiday pin from Fansets, which actually also features Badgie and all his Yuletide bliss. But Fansets has also announced two surprise Lower Decks pins for the month of December as well. That's right. This week on December 1st, the USS Cerritos ship pin will be available. And on December 15th, the USS Cerritos bar logo is going to be available as well as a pin. And that one I personally cannot wait for any longer. And Dan, that is a good reason to raise your glass and toast for all the good things that Fansets puts out. Yeah, absolutely. No redshirt roll call, so I can't raise a drink of Synthahol there, but I can raise a drink because we're getting the Cerritos bar logo. It's awesome. It's a must-have. Um, you can see both the USS Cerritos and the Cerritos bar logo pins over at Fansets social media pages. And as always, we want you to save money at Fansets.com just for being a Discovering Trek listener. So when you put all those pins and all the accessories and gift certificates into your cart, enter the special code word Discovering Trek at checkout. You do that and you're going to get an amazing 15% off your entire order. And don't forget if you're in the United States and spend more than $30, you're also going to get free shipping. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Well, Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we take a look at what this episode helped us to discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And, and Sarah, let's start with you this week. Oh, I thank you. Ladies You're first. Very <laughs> so I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it again. What really stood out to me in this episode was the Tilly storyline personally. Now, maybe it's because I'm facing promotional opportunities currently in my own career. Plus, I'm in school. I'm career focused right now. And despite all the amazing Vulcan, Romulan, Spock goodness, it's Tilly that stood out. I find it fascinating the need for people to seek approval. Tilly earned her promotion, in my opinion. She's remained calm and cool under pressure. She's smart, she's well-liked, and she deeply cares, yet she still needs to hear from her friends that it's okay to excel. Is this more prominent in women than men? Do women more often feel the need to apologize for success? What would she have done had Stamets and Burnham and others not encouraged her to say yes? These are the questions that I asked myself a lot in this episode. 
If Saru thought that she was ready, why does it matter if others do? Does she have to prove it to them? To Saru? To herself? I find this to be such a fascinating topic, and I really like the approach to the story. The writing of this episode was phenomenal, and I really, really loved the realistic approaches to relatable events. Even this far into the future, with all that humanity has accomplished and seen, we're still the same old humans that just want to be liked and accepted. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. How many times have we heard that phrase in Star Trek? I got to admit, I was thrilled to hear it again this week. But it means so much more to me in Discovery than I remember it meaning in the past. Here we see Michael Burnham risking her career, her friendships, her relationship with Book, everything to get this burn data and figure out what happened so she can start putting the Federation back together again. Let me emphasize that. She can start. Dr. Culber called her a responsibility hoarder earlier this season, and it appears to still be true here in Episode 7. But then we see a distinct change in her. When listening to the Romulans and Vulcans argue over providing the data, and they're talking about it causing the unification to fall apart, she stops dead in her tracks and withdraws her request. That's indeed no small task for Michael Burnham. Some could say that figuring out the cause of the burn is a need for many, and not few, But Burnham has a personal and deep desire to fix things, again, as she always seems to do, so one could say that it's for the few or the one. But seeing what's at stake here for Navarre, she concludes that the needs of the many certainly do outweigh her need, and she does the most human thing of all. She puts others' best interests, safety, and well-being in front of her own goals. All through this series, we've watched Michael's humanity grow, and to me, This was the most evident growth to date, Bill. Quote, The first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth. Whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth, it is the guiding principle upon which Starfleet is based. End quote. Those words are spoken by Captain Jean-Luc Picard to Wesley Crusher in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The First Duty. When Wesley decides not to be forthcoming in an investigation of an accidental death of a cadet at Starfleet Academy. This is a lesson that Michael Burnham learns for herself this week, and it took her mother Gabrielle, now a ninja nun of the Coat Milat, to present it to her in different words. The principle of absolute candor is an interesting one, and it's an idea that's pretty foreign to us as humans. We tell ourselves a lot of things, and we talk ourselves in and out of by hearing what we want to hear in our inner monologue. We need to be honest with ourselves and who we are to realize we deserve the future we want and that we have the courage to go and make it happen. The first duty Michael Burnham has is to be honest with herself, and that's something she finally does in this episode, and it's long overdue. Commendation, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. All right, people, it's time for some awards. All right, people. Wow, that was interesting. All right, people, it's time for some awards to see uh, what you picked this week to receive your Starfleet commendations. Awards that have no no meaning whatsoever. It's just fun. So, uh, Casey, you're a guest on this week's panel. So, um, do you have anything? I know you didn't prepare for this week, but you don't really. He doesn't prepare, prepare for week. any week. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, it's like so every anything? week, maybe. <laughs> so, do you have anything specific you wanted to uh, throw in for accommodation? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't want to steal anyone else's thunder here, but it was just the the secrecy of using Nimoy footage that 
was fantastic. And it's like, you know, you can, it's not like everybody's just going around and this could have leaked so easily much earlier. And it was wonderful to see, um, that, that was, was fantastic. And it was a very well-written episode that I think opens up a lot for the future. Agreed. Sarah, what do you got? Mary Wiseman. Again, just every episode, really, she's fantastic. And in this one, those small looks to Stamets and other people, that that ability to look so vulnerable, she just nailed it. And Tara Rosling. That's a, you know, I've never been, I'll say it, I've never been a huge fan of Vulcans. I There's been some great storylines and some great acting, don't get me wrong, but she's a Vulcan I can get behind. I don't know what it was about her, but she was phenomenal. So I really enjoyed that character. Yeah, I think we might hear about that one later. Bill? <laughs> uh, first up, I'm going to go with Kirsten Beyer. Of course, uh, she uh, a longtime Trekspert um, in the eyes of, of, of many. Uh, noted Star Trek author. Clearly, she, she helped create Star Trek Picard, and she adds a, some great depth to the 32nd century here in Star Trek Discovery. I think it's awesome. Uh, next, Sonia Son, who plays Gabrielle Burnham. Like I said, I, I love it whenever she shows up. I love the the new angle they gave this character, and it was a believable reboot of sorts. And then, I mean, how can you get to this episode with not giving a commendation to SMG, Sonequa Martin-Green? She is, as usual, uh, amazing. That's uh, that's as good as I've got because there's really no other words to describe her, uh, where she's taken Burnham this season. I 100% agree. And all of my accommodations kind of, uh, somebody said it already once. One of you three said it. My first one is to Kirsten Beyer. She did an amazing job with the writing of the episode. Um, like I said, I was scared to death to talk to her at the at the Picard premiere um, because she is a Trexpert, like on a level that's like, you can't even like imagine. Um, so she just did a fantastic job. And as Casey said, whoever decided to use the footage of Leonard Nimoy, um, I honestly thought we would never see him again in Star Trek after Star Trek Beyond. So seeing this footage, even though we've seen it a hundred times, a hundred times before in, in Unification, it made me weep that scene. Uh, it was an amazing thing to watch, and seeing Burnham's reaction to seeing her brother as an old man and the things he accomplished was just a, an amazing job. Like Bill said to Sonequa Martin Green. And my third commendation this week, as with Sarah, is to Tara Rosling as the Vulcan president, Tarina. I got to admit, I was worried that when we saw the Vulcans here this week, it would be a return to those stuffed shirts that we saw in the early Enterprise episodes, which I've talked about in Trek Geeks as something that I really don't like the way the Vulcans are representative in that, represented in that series. Um, and although we kind of got that with Vakir... Um, Tara's portrayal of the Vulcan president was was really great. Her conversations with Saru were some of the highlights, uh, and I truly hope we get to see her again this season, whether it's in a presidential role or is in something else. Long-range scan of planet complete. So every episode, we take a long look into the Bajoran Orb of Prophecy to try to determine what the future will hold for the crew of the Discovery. Uh, we're usually wrong 99.87654% of the time, but every now and then we get one right. Uh, so what's next uh, for Discovery, Mr. Smith? Wow. So putting me on the hot seat, I just want to state up front that my last two uh, long-range scans were both proven wrong this week. So um, I to say I'm Ofer is is really the understatement of the year. Ofer, thank you. And so mm. ever since just about every prediction I make goes belly up, I'm going to go with a safe bet, 
And I'm going to say that Burnham's going to be first officer again by the end of the season, marking the third time she'll have been the first officer of a starship, <laughs> the second time she's been the first officer of the Discovery, and uh, the, probably the only person to have been removed for gross insubordination two different times. That's quite a softball you got there. You've thrown up some softballs this year. I, I don't want to hear it. was hoping you weren't going to say that. Anyway, Sarah, what do you got? You know, after Bill's comment, I'm going to hijack long-range scan, and I'm going oh. to throw in Sarah's question corner real quick. Do you mind? Bum, bum, bum. I do not argue with the boss. Uh-uh. My question is, all of you seem to think that Tilly was a bad choice. Who would you have chosen to be Saru's second number two? I'll go, I'll go first. I don't think Tilly was a bad choice. I think that she has shown herself capable of standing up to the captain and saying things that need to be said. And he has appreciated that to the point where he thinks he, she may be the only person in his mind who should be first officer. Mm. I, I don't think it's a bad choice because I think Tilly's not sure if it's a good choice. I'm not saying it's a bad choice. I'm not saying it's a good choice. I'm saying it's a wait-and-see choice. But I don't have anybody else that I would choose to be first officer, to be honest. I don't really... I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head who I would choose. Casey? Casey? Uh, I I could have seen Nilsson being the number one. Uh, There's a strength there and just a consistency of that officer. So I, I, I would have bought that immediately. I would have liked to have seen Nilsson as acting first officer, and then I think it would have been a nice development if Vance appointed somebody from the 32nd century as first officer because they sort of need that guide. It can't yeah. always be yes. Adira because Adira Ooh, hasn't yeah. been in Starfleet. His security right? chief is somebody who I would possibly yeah. pick. Lieutenant Willow. Yeah, she's been on Discovery, and I think she had a better understanding of the crew after the episode where she was there and did the jump and got all yep. like nauseous. Oh. I, yeah, I like so that. So promote her to Lieutenant Commander, make her first officer of the Discovery. I think that's that's very plausible, and I, I think that between Nilsson as acting and then Willa as a permanent first officer, I think it would have been a, a very interesting choice. That's pretty awesome. Okay, Sarah, can you bring it back on? Uh, My mind now? is blown. That is actually really <laughs> no. That, I think those are all really good answers, and I really appreciate it. I just kind of was thinking to myself, like you know, because yes. I don't know who I would say. So it's just a good question. That's allowed. So, anyways, that's good. Thank you, Sarah's question corner. Random, but look for it coming this Christmas. Um, long range scan. I'm just going to be silly and say that given that the Vulcans and the Romulans are working together, I predict we'll see a triple Klingon planet pretty soon. And that's my final answer. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, you could be right. You never know. Awesome. Mm, Oh, my gosh. Tasty. Like a scallop. Mine's not that awesome. Um, But every time Burnham talks about the burn, Admiral Vance looks really uncomfortable to me. I don't know if it's because he's putting out so many fires and and just doesn't have time to listen to the burn, or if it's because he knows something he doesn't want others to know. I think that with the realization of the burn origin, somebody, I'm not saying it's Vance, but somebody is not going to want that information to go very far and is going to cause a lot of trouble for the Discovery crew to keep it hidden. And I got to say, I pray that we don't have another Badmiral on our hands because I love Admiral Vance. So um, next week we have Casey back, even though he is here this week for some reason. Um, so, so Sarah, what do we have in store uh, next week here on Discovering Trek? All right. Next week, 
Burnham and the USS Discovery crew travel to Book's home planet to help rescue it from Osira, the formidable leader of the Emerald Chain. Meanwhile, Stamets and Adira continue their search for valuable information on the origin of the burn. It's Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 8, Sanctuary. And bonus, it's directed by Jonathan Frakes. Until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by supporting us on Patreon. Get access to our unedited recordings of each and every episode on the network, as well as other exclusive content, plus our annual supporters pins from fansets and our exclusive Trek Geeks Podcast Network t-shirt, along with so many other perks. We'd like to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek, and we are truly so grateful for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing, Al Godwin, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Tony Lambast, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, some weirdo named Casey Shafsky, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. If you'd like to become a producer of Discovering Trek, or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Always great to have all four of us. It's been a while since this has happened. It's all way back from the Lord. It Death has. Days. It's been great. Casey, where can people find you online, buddy? Oh my gosh, it's Twitter, and that is it. Otherwise, I'm just in the Stone Age. Oh, you got to give them the handle or anything? Casey Shafsky <laughs> with binoculars looking on Dan's window. There you go. Appreciate it. Sarah, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Van Island Sarah or at Trek Remind. And Mr. Smith, I like your title. Uh, huh? Yeah it's, yeah, it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> it sounds kind of like somebody else's, so I'm thinking of changing it. Of course, I can be found on Twitter at Trek Geek Bill, and I can always be uh, found millowing around the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, which is very easy to find. Join. It's a great place of positivity and no gatekeeping. No gatekeeping. Very, very important. None. Always positive. You can find me over at Camp Kittimer all the time on Facebook as well. And on Twitter, you can find me at Trek Geek Dan. And that's going to do it for us for this week in our discussion of Episode 7, Unification 3. An amazing tie-in to a great TNG two-parter and a wonderful tribute to a legend. Plus, we get a new number one for the fifth or sixth time on the USS Discovery. It's pretty awesome. Um, we look forward to how that's all going to go down uh, in future episodes. As always, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe each and every week. We wouldn't be here without your support, and we thank you so very much. We'll be back next week to discuss Sanctuary, and we hope you'll join us. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Captain Saru. It has been my experience that we learn our greatest lessons when we pay a heavy price. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. 
For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.